And so this past weekend, we had the funeral for my uncle. And one of the things that his son, when my cousin came up to give a eulogy in regards to his father. And my cousin, in his eulogy, he spoke of the one thing that we all knew about my uncle. And that my uncle was a very, very patient man. And he was. He was a very, very patient man. Back when my, my aunt was still with him, my aunt passed away in about 2000. But back in the days when my, my aunt was still with him, uh, my, aunt, you know, my aunt would be yelling at him all the time. You know, sometimes she would get angry and she'll be just you know, yelling at him and saying all kinds of things at him. And he'll just sit there and he'll just say, honey, slow down a little bit. And he was a very, very patient man. He lived in San Jose for a very, very long time, like I've told us before, for our family. That was the first city that we came to um, when we came from Thailand as refugees after the Vietnam War. Was we, came into, we came to San Jose and we lived there. And my, fa- my, my father and our family, we lived there for, until 82 and we moved out. But my uncle and his family, they lived there from 1979 all the way until 1998. And we all know how traffic is like in San Jose, right? It's terrible. It's terrible. And my uncle, being that he's a patient man, he drives very, very slow. And so, you know, during traffic time, he'll be driving very, very slow. And people will, you know, when we're riding in the car with him and things like that, people will be coming up behind him, and they'll be angry, and they'll be honking at him, and they'll be going around him, and they'll be flipping him off and all these stuff. And we as kids will be sitting in the car with him, and we'll be flipping them off, you know, in return. And we'll say, Uncle, why don't you chase up with them so that we can uh, yell at them, so we can flip them off some more? And my uncle would just say, you know what, sons? Calm down a little bit. They're just saying hi to us. Right? <laughs> and so my uncle was a very, very patient man. My uncle was a very, very patient man. And one of the things that my cousin talked about in his eulogy in regards to his father was that he talked about the time in which he was a high school student. And as we all know, all high school students are pretty lazy, right? We never want to get up. In the morning, we never want to get up. We just want to keep sleeping. And he talks about how his father would used to come into his room and try to wake him up three to four times every single morning. Every single morning would try to wake him up three to four times, and yet his father was always very nice and gentle about it. He was just always very nice and gentle about it. And then, you know, when he, he started talking about that, it brought me back to my memory with my father as a high school student. Because my father, being the younger brother, is not as gentle, not as patient, and so when my father would come into the room every morning around 7 o'clock in the morning, sometimes around 6 o'clock in the morning, just because that's the way my father is, even though we don't start school until 8.30, right? And he would come into the room, and he would try to wake us up, and he would wake us up one time, and if we don't get up, the very next thing we, you know, he would do is he'll pour water on our face. <laughs> and, I, and I would wake up, and I'd be like, what the heck, Dad, what are you doing? And he would just say, this is how it was in the army. This is how it was in the army. This is how we were treated. So that's how my father was. And that's the difference between my father and his brother in terms of their patience. My father was a man who who really wanted things to get done right away, you know, right away. A lot of times, you know, like like I've told us before, if school starts at at 8 o'clock, he wants us to get up at 6 o'clock, sometimes 5.30 already. I don't know why, but that's how he was, right? But my uncle was a very, very patient man. And in this Bible verse that we're talking about here in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 through verse 3, it is the call of God for us to wake up. It is the call of God for us to wake up, to arise from our our sleep, 
to rise up because the light is coming, that it is no longer, that it is no longer the time of darkness, but it is during the time of light. And the light has come upon us, and it is time for us to wake up. No longer be in our sleep, no longer be in our slumber, but it is time for us as Christians, as God's people, as God's children, to wake up. And I imagine God is a, is a very patient God, like how my uncle was. I imagine God to be a very patient God, because the Word of God teaches us that He is a long, long-suffering God. And He continues to call us as His children, even during times of darkness, even during times of challenges, even during times of difficulties, He continues to call us and say, it is time for us to rise. It is time for us to rise. In Romans chapter 13, verse 11, the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, The hour has already come. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The time of Christ's return is nearer now than it was 2,000 years ago. And because we are living during the last ages, because we're living during the last days, There has to be this passion. There has to be this sense of urgency in each and every single one of us to wake up. No longer just going through the rituals of being a Christian. No longer just following the traditions of being a Christian. No longer just going through the motions of being a Christian. But to really wake up and to have a sense of urgency in each and every single one of us, knowing that the day is coming, that Christ is going to return again. And it is our duty, it is our job to proclaim this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that all people will hear this message of Jesus Christ so that that day in which Christ returns, that we will all be gathered with Jesus Christ. With Jesus Christ. I don't know if you guys remember, but a couple of weeks ago, right? A couple of weeks ago, um, they, I guess they launched a spaceship down in Santa Barbara or something like that. And at that time, my family and I, we were down in, um, because we were planning for my uncle's funeral, so we were in Elk Grove at my cousin's house. And we, we came outside, after, we're practicing a song that we're, gonna, that we're going to sing for my uncle's funeral, and then when we came outside, we saw that bright light up in the sky. And Eli says, oh my goodness. I'm still a kid. I don't want the world to end yet. Is that Jesus? (laughs) And on that day, Simon just got baptized, right? That's the very day that Simon got baptized. And Simon turned around and Simon said to to Eli, too bad for you. I just got baptized. (laughs) So, you know, we, we have to have that sense of energy knowing, knowing that Christ is going to return. And that we must not be in a in our sleep anymore. We must not be in our slumber anymore, but we must wake up and we must have this sense of urgency to do the work of God, to proclaim this message, to share this message, the name of Jesus Christ to all people, to all people, to all nations. It is our duty. It is our job. It is what we are called to do as Christians. And today as, we receive, today as we receive our pledge letters, we need to remember that that is part of this duty that God has called us to do. When we, when we make our pledges, we're making this pledge that we are going to use our time, that we're going to use our finances, that we're going to use the things that God has given us. We're going to use this to proclaim Jesus Christ for the transformation of this world. Because that, that. We know that that is our purpose. That is our mission. We know that because God has commanded us for that. 
And we're not simply just going through the motions to do something that Christians have been doing for a long time. But we're doing this with a sense of urgency. We're doing this. We're going to do this with a sense of passion to really build up our church, to really build up the youth group. I've talked to us about building up our youth group for these past few years. And we've been able to build them up. A lot of times when we want to build up a ministry in the church, you know, sometimes it's going to take us five years. Sometimes it's going to take us ten years. I've been here for three years, and we've been trying to focus on this youth group. But there's so many more things for us to really focus on. There's so many more things that we need to rise up in our church, and we need to do. One of those things is to really focus on our young couples, trying to get them involved in the ministry, trying to build this relationship and this fellowship among them. Like I was telling them this morning, I see you guys come to church all the time, but I've never seen you guys do anything together outside of the church. That's what we want. We want our young couples to be able to go outside of the church and are, are doing things together. They're going places together. So we can see that they have this fellowship, they have this relationship with each other. We have to do this with a sense of urgency, with a sense of passion, a sense of true, true desire. The Word of God goes on and says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through verse 2, that we must not be conformed to the world anymore. And this is what it means to rise up. This is what it means to rise up. It means that we are no longer conformed to the world. It doesn't mean that we are going to, you know, neglect the world. It doesn't mean that we're going to hate people that don't believe in the things that we believe in. You know, I know some people, they tend to um, interpret Bible verses in such a way. It's not, it doesn't mean that we're going to isolate ourselves from people. That's not what it means. But what it means, what it means is that we're going to be unique. We're going to be different. We're going to be the light of the world. We are going to be a reflection of the glory of God to the world. And that we're going to do this with this sense of urgency, with a passion for God. That we're going to live out this Christian life for the world to see. As we all know, like I, like I said last week, I'm in the business world too. I also work in the business world. And when you have a business, one of the thing, things that's going to help you grow as a business is that you must be different. You must be unique. You must stand out from your competitors. If you don't stand out from your competitors, if you're just like them, you're not going to grow. And that's, as Christians, that's who we are. We are unique. We must stand out. We must stand out. We must be different. We must love with a love that expects nothing in return, with an unconditional love towards people. We must love with a love that doesn't care about their background, where they come from. It doesn't matter. We must truly love. We must truly love unconditionally. And that's what separates us from the world. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. And it defines the world as the lust of the, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Pride of life. You see, when it talks about being like the world, it talks about our own selfishness. It talks about our own selfish ambitions. The things that often keeps us from being able to love others is because of our own lust for ourselves. Our own selfishness. 
our own, that we're so centered on ourselves, that we oftentimes become the center of our world. And God, or our faith in Christ, or, you know, God, when we believe in God, God is often there simply to cater to us in our faith. And many times, many times, because the world is so much in us that we can't rise up. We can't rise up to be different. We continue to conform ourselves to the world. We continue to conform to the values of selfishness, self-centeredness. And we don't think, we don't think about how we can help other people. We don't think, we don't consider our others better than ourselves like the scripture teaches us. That we're to live our life cons- always in consideration of what other people need. And yet many times we don't consider that, but yet we consider more about what we need. And then the God that we have oftentimes, oftentimes the God that we have is a God that caters to us. Instead of us serving him, he's the one that's catering to us. And instead of God being the center of the world, instead of God being the center of our world, we become the center of of our own world. And everything is about us. And that's what it means when it says not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is only through the word of God that we can be transformed. Through the command of the word of God that we can be transformed. That our lives can change. That we can be given a passion, a desire, a sense of urgency to really, really live out this Christian life. Each and every single one of us, when we start out in the faith, the Word of God oftentimes seems like a book of rules for us. Oftentimes the Word of God seems like a book of rules that just burdens us one after another. And we look at the Word of God and we think about this, this Bible and we say, you know, why is there so many rules in there? Why do I have to do so many things? Each and every single one of us, all of us, when we start out in our faith, that's what the Bible appears to be like to us. But if, if we exercise enough faith, if we exercise our faith, and as we continue in our faith, we'll, become to, we'll begin to realize that as we study, and the more closer we grow with God, the more closer that we walk with Him, that our, the, that our own will, that our very own will in our own life will be replaced by the will of God. And the desires that we had will be replaced by the the desires of God. And when that happens in our life, when we see that transformation in our own lives, we'll begin to see that the Word of God is no longer burdensome. It's not something that obligates us. It's not something that, that that is a burden to us. But it becomes a source for transformation. It becomes a source to live a new life. It becomes a source for us to really wake up, to really wake up and be different, be unique, be separated. The word holiness itself, when it talks about God, the word holiness itself talks about God being different from all of us. That's why God is holy. God being unique, that there is absolutely nothing, nothing that is like God. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to verse 16, The word of God says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What a tremendous message. God is calling us to live out the Christian life. Out into the world. He wants everybody to see us. You and I, are we living that out? Are we able to say, as the Apostle Paul said, as the Apostle Paul proclaimed in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Is that something that we can say in our own lives? Can we go up to someone and says, imitate me or be like me as I am trying to be like Christ? The world is in so much need of role models. We are living in a time, a time of, of darkness. We are living in a time of a lot of chaos. And the world is in need of role models. They're in need of people that they can look up to, that they can model their lives after. Why can't we as Christians be that role model for them? Many kids, many children are looking for that. A lot of times, I, you know, I've, I've often talked about me working with the youth in the past. And a lot of times we often excuse the youth ministry as saying, you know what, it's this generation. It's just this generation, you know, this generation, they're no longer interested in God. But as we work with the youth, we realize something, that that's not true at all. That's not true at all. They are still interested in God. But many times, it's simply because they, can, they do not have any role models to look up to in the church. A lot of times, it's because they have no one to look up to. They have no one that they can imitate in the church. And that's why they fall away from the church. And that's why many times they leave the church and they go look for something else. They, they go look for something else. And they start living their life like, you know, the Hollywood movie stars and things of that sort, right? Because there's no one in the church that they can imitate their life after. Because many times we don't imitate our life after Christ. And yet they're so hungry for it. Our young people in this country, our young people in this nation, they're so hungry. They're so hungry for a role model. We as the church, we can be that role model for them. But we have to rise up. We need to wake up from our sleep. We need to realize that the darkness is now passing away and that the, the light, that the light is now coming. How do people identify you? How do people identify us as they look upon us? Do they see us as Christians? Many times in our lives, we are identified by our jobs. We're identified by our jobs. That person is a doctor. That person is a lawyer. That person is a business owner. That person is a male person. That person is a police officer. Many times in our lives, we are identified by these things. Other times in our lives, we are identified by our ethnicity. This person is Hmong. This, that person is Anglo. That person is African American. That per person is Hispanic. And so forth. We identify ourselves so much by these things that we forget that the one thing that matters the most is our identity as Christians. You see, I don't see myself as a Hmong. I am Hmong, but I don't see myself as a Hmong. That's, that's, not my, that's not my identity. My identity is in Christ. My identity is being a Christian. Do we find that identity in being a Christian?
when people look at us, do they see that in all of us? Many times all the race, racial issues in this country, all the racism that we see in this country, really comes down to that. It's because we see ourselves and we identify ourselves through our, through our ethnicity. We forget, to, we forget that we're all children of God, which is the identity that we should all have. Everybody, we're all children of God. If we have that identity, we'll be able to get rid of many of our racial issues here in this country. Many of the racism that we're battling today, all because we continue to say, you know, you're Hmong, I'm white, you're, you're African-American. But let us start saying we are children of God. We are children of God. All created in the image of God. That's how we rise up as a church. We rise up as a church to remind people of this, that all of us are created in his image. doesn't matter your ethnicity. doesn't matter your cultural background. That we are all created in his image. We're all his children. That's something we need to rise up, to continue to proclaim to this world as this world continues to crumble before us over racial issues. A good thing in this passage is that God is also giving us a promise. Although he is, give, he is giving us a command to rise and shine, he's also giving us a promise. And that promise is that your light has come. You see, in other words, what he is telling us here is that he will provide the light for us. He is the source for us. Eli, he has this little glow-in-the-dark bracelet that he likes to wear. Actually, it has a little cross on it. And the way that this glow-in-the-dark bracelet works is that, you know, in order for it to glow very, you know, very bright, he'll have to take this, the bracelet, and he'll have to place it next to the lamp. And the longer he placed this bracelet by the lamp, the brighter, the brighter the bracelet will glow. But the longer this bracelet, the longer this bracelet stays away from the lamp, it will start to dim. It will start to dim, and it will no longer glow. That's how we are. We are, we are like this bracelet. That the more time, and God, God is like that lamp. The more time that we spend, the closer that we are with God, the more we will be able to glow in this darkness that we're living through. The more that the time that we spend with God, the more, the brighter we will shine. Because he is the source of that light. And a lot of times we, we, a lot of times we can't glow. A lot of times we, we're not bright anymore. Because we spend so much time away from God. And we don't spend enough time with God. We don't spend enough time being connected with God. Being connected in his word. Being connected to him through prayers. Through our devotional life. But I want us to remember that bracelet. Every single time that you're out there and, and living your life as a Christian. And you find yourself. You find yourself going through challenges. As though you find yourself being weakened. Whatever the case may be. I want you to remember that bracelet. That in order for that bracelet to glow brighter, it has to go back. It has to be placed back to that lamp. And you, need, you and I, we need to be placed back. To be connected back with God. In order for us to, get, get that, to gain that power, to gain that light. To shine brighter once again. 
And so God is giving us a promise that he is going to provide this light for us. And that his, glory, that his glory is going to rise upon us. And this glory, oftentimes we talk about the glory of God. What we're talking about here is the manifestation of the reality of God in our life. That God is going to become real in our life. That it's no longer just something that we study in a book. It's no longer something that we go to church to sing songs. But he becomes a reality in our life. And that glory shines upon us. It shines upon us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, the Apostle Paul refers to us as the aroma of God or the fragrance of God. The fragrance of God. That if we spend so much time with God that people can even smell God when, they, you know, when, when they're with us. That we will give this fragrance to other people, this refreshing fragrance to other people. And that's what the glory of God is all about. When it is manifested in our life, and then when people come around us, they realize it. They realize it. They can smell God in us. They can see God in us. They can sense God in us. Because God lives in all of us. And he lives through all of us. goes on and says that the darkness covers the earth. And this is the reason why God is calling us. Because we are living in a time of great darkness. But yet if we continue to rise, if we continue to live our life for God, God has promised us that nations will come to your light and that kings the brightness of your dawn. I'm going to conclude this message by telling us a story, a long story, about the mouse, the rooster, the pig, and the cow. Right? The mouse, the rooster, the pig, and the cow, once upon a time. Once upon a time, they lived on a farm with their owner. And they lived in peace. They played together. They had fun together. But one day, a snake moved into the neighborhood. And, you know, when the snake moved into the neighborhood, the mouse was a little bit scared. He was a little bit frightened by that because the snake would just lurk around and watch his every single move. And the mouse, would be, the mouse was scared of that. And so the mouse went to the rooster. And he said to the rooster, rooster, or Mr. Rooster, can you help me out? Because I'm not feeling safe here anymore. Because the snake... He's now, he's now moved in, and he continues to lurk around, and he continues to watch my every move, my every move. And so I no longer feel safe. Can you help me chase the snake away? And this rooster said, no, I can't do that, because that's your problem. He's not, doing anything for, he's not doing anything towards me. So that's your problem. And so the mouse said, okay. And so he moved on to the pig. And so the mouse moved on, and he talked to the pig. He said the same thing to the pig. And said, Mr. Pig, why don't you help me out? Because the snake is here now. And he keeps lurking around, watching my every move. I don't feel safe. How can you help me out? And the pig says, that's none of my business, because a snake is not going to eat me. So that's none of my business. And so the mouse went on, and he went to talk to the cow. And he said, Mr. Cow, why don't you help me out? Because I'm no longer feeling safe. And the cow said... That's none of my business. I'm too big for the snake to eat me, so I don't worry about it. That's your problem, so why don't you deal with it yourself? And then one day, one day instead of the snake eating this mouse, the snake went and he bit. He bit the wife of the owner. And so the wife of the owner became sick. She became ill. She became very ill. And so as we all know, there is a Hmong chicken diet, right? There's a Hmong chicken diet that we all, you know, we eat. You know, women, after they get pregnant, 
You know, they, they have their Hmong chicken diet. I'm on that Hmong chicken diet right now. My parents are making me go on it because I just had a car accident, right? And so there's the, you know, Hmong chicken diet that they put herbs in it for us to eat. And so the wife became very, very ill. And so the wife says to, to her husband that, you know, I'm ill now. Why don't, I want to go on that chicken diet. So why don't you go and kill that rooster? You go and kill that rooster and put some herbs in it and cook that rooster for me to eat. And so that's what the husband did. And, you know, so the husband put, in, put her on this, the chicken diet, but she still didn't get better. She was still very, very ill. And then she said to her husband, you know, husband, why don't you go and call the shaman? Call the shaman, have the shaman come into, the, into our, our house and have the shaman perform the healing ritual. And so that's what the husband did. The husband went to call the shaman, brought the shaman in, and the shaman came to perform the, the healing ritual. But part of that healing ritual, part of that healing ritual was that, the, that a pig needed to be sacrificed. And so the husband went and took the pig, and he sacrificed the pig for the, that healing ritual. But he, the wife still didn't get better. And in the end, the wife died. And so the wife died, and in Hmong customs, when the wife dies, when there's a funeral, you have to kill a cow. <laughs> when there's a funeral, you have to kill a cow. And so the husband said, my wife is now dead. So I'm going to go, and I'm going to kill this cow for my wife's funeral. And in the end, the mouse is the one that survived. The mouse is the one that survived, and while the rooster, the pig, and the cow were all killed. And every single church, every single community, every single city, there's someone like this mouse that needs help. There's someone like this mouse that needs help. We need to pay attention to those people. And we need to help them the way that we can. We don't want to end up dead like, like the cow, the rooster, right? But we need to help those people. Because in every, like I said, in every community, every church, there's someone like that. There's someone like the mouse who's in need of our help. Let us look out for those people and help them. Let us pray. Father, we come before you, Father. Father, we ask that you empower us so that we may rise up to live the life that brings you glory. And so, Father, we give you all things. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.